peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. You can see some of the announcements in the life of the church, a lot of things that are going on, especially this fall for September and even October. We're looking ahead for, into what is going on uh, the rest of this, uh, at least part of what's coming up in the fall. This morning out on the patio, if you would like to do so, you can contribute to school supplies for the schools at Camp Pendleton. The outreach committee has a booth out there and they'd love to have you contribute whatever you can that they will use to buy some school supplies to donate uh, to those kids. Uh, also, if you are interested in our trip to Greece that starts the end of April this coming year, there's a sign up for that out on the cart. I'd like, we're just gathering interest right now um, and then you can also pick up the itinerary and the information about it there. We're doing a different kind of photo directory this year. We're trying to do electronic photos, and a bunch of you have sent them in to us, either a picture of yourself or of your family, um, and it's lots of fun to see the variety that we're getting. Um, we'd love it if more of you would send them in. If you are unable to do that, there will be a date of the first Sunday in October during our pancake breakfast for you to have your picture taken. We have a photographer who will be there that day. But he won't be trying to sell you photos. He's just going to take you a, uh, your picture for our directory. So whichever one you would like to do, we want to be sure we get your picture. And the flowers this morning are in honor of the anniversary of Chaz and Karen Offhammer, 19 years. So we, can, we congratulate them. They are not here with, this morning. They're probably off celebrating together. Uh, this morning, we welcome to our pulpit the Reverend Mike Regal. Mike and his wife, Debbie, worship with us regularly, and Mike is a pastor at large in our presbytery. He works particularly in the field of change and demographics, and so it is the right time to listen to Mike, and we are just delighted that you're here with us this morning, Mike. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, we gather as your church to praise you, thankful that we, when we were far from you, when we were not a people, in Jesus Christ, you set your love upon us. You sought us out. You drew us to yourself. You made us your people. You mark us with your water. You scar us with your name. You imprint us with your vision, and we gratefully raise our voices and our hearts in praise as we come to worship you this day through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please join me for a call to worship. I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What, what God, God is, is so great as our God. God. You are the God who works wonders. You have displayed your might among the peoples. With your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The very deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies thundered. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash, the crash of your, your thunder, thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. 
your path through the mighty waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Amen. O God, our help in ages past.
together so teach my song so teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay when I cannot stand when I cannot stand I'll fall on you You're my hope and stay Lord, I need you Show me for our response or prayer of confession. God of mercy, hear the prayers of your thirsting people. For every time we have attributed your miracles in our lives to our own hands alone. Forgive, Forgive us, us, we, we pray. pray. For every time we promise to trust you, but turn to our own way when your response did not come soon enough or in the way we expected. Grant, Grant us, us mercy, mercy, O God. God, for the many opportunities to extend forgiveness that we have refused. Show, Show us, us what, it, what means it means to extend your love, O Lord. For each way we put our own understandings above your wisdom, for each time we resist your command to be reconciled with those who believe differently from us. Direct, Direct us, us in your, your ways, ways of peace, peace we, pray. we pray. For our silent sins, our quiet acts of violence, and our indifference to the suffering around us. Forgive, Forgive us, faithful God. God. Quench, Quench our, our thirst, thirst with your grace. And remake us into vessels of your tenderness and compassion. Let us now take a minute for personal silent confession.
Amen. Hear the good news. God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, we may ask of Christ to give us the living water that quenches the dryness of our souls and becomes in us a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Thanks Thanks be to God. Amen. I would now like to excuse our middle schoolers and high schoolers to Sunday school to the youth center. Abby Garcia will meet you right here. It's good to see you all from this uh, point of view. I'm usually out there. Um, I thank you for the uh, introduction, Kathy. The expert part scared me a little. I think it's dangerous to consider oneself an expert because there's always somebody smarter. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping also that uh, my nose does not go into spasms here. Uh, we started leaving home and I sneezed three times within like half a block. It's just a little bit too much smoke in my nose, I think. But glad to be here this morning. The scripture text is going to be woven into the sermon because I'm kind of using it to tell a story. And it would be a really long reading if I did it all at once. So uh, bear with me. We've been hearing a great deal about change and open doors as we engage in this season of transition. And I hope to contribute a little bit to the discussion for us as a congregation today. But I'm coming at this from my perspective of one whose career has focused on assisting churches and denominational agencies deal with a changing cultural context. I even wrote a book back in the 90s called Death of the Church. Didn't get the best reviews on the title, but the content was good. Um, One problem with this, of course, is that Laguna is one of the churches that I personally attend. So while the subject of change and future is one that I can easily engage in on an academic level, there is clearly a personal side for me as well in this. I suspect that I'm not alone when I admit that being here also reminds me of one who is not. And we truly want to put a good face on our situation, rightfully so, such as discussing opening doors that are before us, because there are, and yet if we're honest, pain and loss, confusion and uncertainty, at least for me, accompany all this as well. So with that as an introduction, I want to talk with you this morning as I would talk with any congregation entering a time of change and reflection on the future. And I do so via the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt and the promise of a new land filled with milk and honey and how some responded to that possibility. Now, most of us, I think, are acquainted with the exodus story. We know how Yahweh confronted the most powerful man in the ancient world and through Moses, finally got him to agree to let the Israelites go. We know the story of how once Pharaoh let them go, he changed his mind and chased them to the edge of the Red Sea. And caught between Pharaoh's army on one side and the sea on the other, the Israelites cried out to God, and God opened a way through the sea for them. And once on the other side, they turned around and looked back and watched as the Egyptians were destroyed in the waters. And so Exodus 15, verse 15, starts with a song that they supposedly sing at that moment. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. 
The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. And wherever the word Lord is, it's, it's Yahweh. And so just imagine. It's kind of like, phew, that was close. We made it, though. We're free at last. And so what do we do? We turn around, and for the first time, we notice where we really are. A complete wilderness. A desert of barrenness. There's no water. There's no food. Nothing. And it wasn't long before this grumbling group of people started out, saying to Moses, The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam and Israel and came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. Of course, you know where that is. And on the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, the whole congregation of Israelites complained to Moses against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the flesh pots, whatever those were, and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And a few days later, Moses faced this. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. And they came to Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and the livestock with thirst? Great beginning. The wilderness is a metaphor, I think many of us know, as a, as a particular part of our spiritual pilgrimage. It's what I refer to often when I talk with people as a liminal place. It's a place of betwixt and between. Liminal means a threshold place, a place between two worlds. The world one has known is deconstructed, but the future is overwhelmingly unclear. It is a place of uncertainty. It is a place of questions and few answers. It is the place where everything that was supposed to be no longer is, or at least it feels like that. It is the place of loss. It is a place of testing and ultimately of reformation. And it is also a place where one hears more clearly the voice of God. Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days and nights and received the Torah. Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days and night and was tested. Israel spent 40 years in the desert. More about that in a moment. Now we as a congregation are now in that liminal place. Many of us do not know LPC without Jerry. I, I, I don't. And the stages of grief are still at work in us and will be for some time. Some of us are in denial, some angry, some denying again, then back to angry, some depressed, some feeling fine, wondering what all the problem is. <laughs> Curiously, the stages of grief chart, uh, the stages of grief chart just like the process of change that leads one into the liminal place and then hopefully back out again. When at the bottom, there can be depression. You may not even understand it. Israel went through all of these. Their anger is most obvious 
because of the way they consistently challenged Moses. Now, ultimately, there are two responses to change, a time of change. One, which I'm sure we won't do, is abandon hope and long for the old world. Not that a return to that is possible, but we can individually and corporately get stuck there and ultimately watch as it all dissipates over time. Or we can endeavor to trust God's promise and imagine a new world. So what did Israel do? Well, we find out in the next part of the story, after a pretty rough start, complaining about food and water and making a golden calf and all the other stupid things they did, like when Moses got the Torah, they finally head out for the promised land. And as they approached the area, Moses sent out 12 scouts representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And each one was sent into Canaan, which is what the land was called in. And they were to look around in the land. And so we pick up the story with their report. Well, actually, there were two reports. There was a majority and a minority report. First, the majority report, the ten, the, the ten scouts. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. And they are holding up a big thing of grapes. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw descendants of Anak there. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against this people, for, we, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great size. There we saw in the Nephilim, the Anakites come from the Nephilim, in case you were wondering, and to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Now the report at first sounds pretty good. Big clusters of grapes, flows with milk and honey, couldn't be much better. Certainly better than this desert. The lo logical thing to do would be to go. But then the ten scouts qualify the report. The people who live there are strong, and their town's big and fortified, and what's worse, Anak's descendants are there. And you are saying to yourself, who's Anak, and why are they so afraid of him? Well, he was the ancestor of Anakim, the Anakim, which he just told us, which are the Nephilim, which, of course, clarifies it. Right? <laughs> They're also known as really big giants. Uh, uh, think of David and Goliath. Okay? Scary guys. In the original uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, the bad pirates are under a curse. And when the moon is covered by clouds, they look normal. But when the moon comes out, well, that what they really are is revealed. In one memorable scene, uh, Kira Knightley steps out on the deck of the Black Pearl and is confronted by the captain who says, you've sailed off the map, lassie, for here there be monsters. And that's what I think of when I think of their report. There's monsters up there. We, don't, we can't do a, deal with monsters. So the ten scouts, they are freaked out by what they saw. And evidently their story freaked out the people as well. As good as the land looked, they could not imagine themselves 
having the capability of marching in and displacing the inhabitants into the land that they had been promised. Their cities were too big, their people were too big, and there were too many of them. All they envisioned was annihilation. Some years ago, I watched an HBO series, uh, you might have watched it too, From Earth to the Moon, and it chronicles the fulfillment of Kennedy's challenge to put a human on the moon. And one episode focused on the Apollo 1 disaster. You will remember that three astronauts died on the launching pad during a routine test when a fire broke out in their capsule. It was a devastating setback for the space program, and it launched a full-scale congressional investigation into the cause. What doesn't these days, anyway? But that's an... The only astronaut on the investigative team was Frank Borman. And during his testimony before the Senate committee, the chairman asked him a very simple and direct question. Why did this tragedy happen? And Borman's response stunned me, and it stuck with me for years. He said, when you clear it all away, all the things that went wrong, all the technical issues, in the end it happened because of a failure of imagination. It happened due to a failure of imagination. They had considered every possible scenario for a fire in space and what they would do. But they never imagined that a fire could break out in the capsule on the launching pad. Consequently, they had no mechanisms for an easy extraction of the astronauts. Quick release of the door was impossible. It required the astronaut sitting in the middle to reach his hand up over and around the other one and grab the, the hatch. Well, the hatch doesn't come in. It's supposed to go out. Couldn't do that. Who would have thought that such a necessity as the need to blow a hatch would occur before they ever took off? A failure of imagination. In times of change and transition, in the midst of all the fear, the uncertainty, the, you know, whatever that you feel about the future, a failure to imagine an alternative future can be disastrous. But there was an alternative report submitted by Caleb and Joshua. They saw the same thing the other ten saw, but they came to a different conclusion. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are, all, we are well able to overcome it. And what was the difference between Caleb and Joshua and the rest? What they saw filled their imagination with what could be if they trusted Yahweh and went forward. This was the ancient land promised to Abraham. Yahweh had led them out of Egypt safely and had provided food and water in the midst of this deathly wilderness. Why would Yahweh not continue to be faithful? Trust and imagination. Both are called for in the liminal place. It's not always easy. Like I said, many of us feel the absence of a presence. But God has made a promise to heal and restore creation, and God has called us to continue to participate individually and collectively in that salvation project. That's before us. Paul tells us that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. God is present with us to hold and sustain us even when we face change. And it is the presence of the Spirit in each of us and together as a body that gives us the license to imagine God's future 
and our place in it. This is what Joshua and Caleb could do. They had observed all the ways that God had been present with them through their release from captivity. They could see how abundant and promising the land was. The calculus for them was easy. If God could bring Pharaoh to his knees, surely we can imagine God successfully fulfilling his promise to lead us into this promised land. They had what we might call trustful imagination. Or imagination that was based upon a solid trust. And when any of us in the moment of great change, uh, when any of us in the moment of great change, when we find ourselves in the liminal place of betwixt and between, on the threshold of a new world, a new place, a new future, it can be anything, a new job, a new marriage, a new transition to retirement, if that ever is possible, uh, those are all liminal places. I believe we are called to exercise trustful imagination, to allow ourselves to imagine the future based upon faith that God will fulfill God's promise to restore creation through us. So what happened? What did Israel do? Well, I think we all know the naysayers won. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord leading us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. Moses and Aaron are frustrated. Joshua and Caleb tear their clothes in exasperation. And the congregation threatened to stone them. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? Israel had a failure of imagination. And the result was to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, honestly, I think it is understandable that we humans, when feeling threatened by the future, develop odd memories of how great the past was. The future can be scary when one feels extremely insecure. Uncertainty breeds insecurity. Insecurity looks for when was the last time that I felt secure, even if it's an illusion. For Israel, that was certainly the case. They were slaves oppressed by a tyrant. But better the past you know than the future you don't. And their response was not rational, but it was understandable. I think we've all been there. When we stand on the threshold of a new order of things, the longing for the order that is passing away is both understandable and at the same time unhelpful. Which way will we look as a congregation? Will we look forward and imagine our new missional future? Or we will look back and pine for what once was? I assure you, I've been doing this kind of work for 30 years, I assure you I've observed the latter. It happens at the congregational level, it happens at the presbytery level, it happens at the national level. The church in North America is declining institutionally. It is also in a large wilderness place, and there's far too much longing for the good old days when being a Presbyterian meant something to the larger community. 
And so in the months ahead, as a congregation, we will have to wrestle with this very question, most likely multiple times. Which way will we look? Life in the wilderness can be hard, and we will ask ourselves repeatedly several questions. Who are we? Who have we been? Where should we be going? What is our calling for the next phase of LPC's life? Why do you believe we ought to go there? And ultimately, what kind of pastor will we need to be faithful to that new calling? We will have to, we will have to ask ourselves if we are really open to moving in a new direction. We will have to confront feelings of discomfort as the comfortable is challenged. We will have to be honest with ourselves and each other, perhaps on matters that could prove awkward. These are all challenges of major transitions. In a nutshell, we have to look, we have to work to imagine a future that is not yet present. But there are tools and resources to feed our collective imagination. The church will, I assume, embark upon a new mission study where these questions will be explored. We will look at ourselves, we will look at our community that we serve. And above all, we will look to the scriptures for renewed understanding of God's mission in the world. And we will ask ourselves what our role in that will be. We just celebrated our 100th year anniversary of ministry in Laguna. How will who we have been and what we have done play a role in our, in our imagining what comes next? And one question will be important in our imaginative musings. We will need to reflect on the correlation this is an example, by the way, between the demographics of our mission context and our congregation. I did a little pre-analysis, because I guess that's what I do, uh, in preparation this morning. I suspect this will come as no surprise that, on, that we are on average older than the communities from which we draw 85% of our congregants. There is a higher percentage of households with children out there than there are in our congregation. Our education level is higher than the larger community as a percentage and we are of a higher percentage of retired folks than out there in the community. That's just part of our reality. And it's just the beginning. It's just giving you a glimpse. Like I said, I doubt that's news to any of you, but this information is part of the raw materials we shall use to trustfully imagine our future. I cannot propose what I think that will be, but I can say the information is important. Looking at the demographic picture of our mission area, is our sending spies into the land. In these data are real people with real lives and real aspirations, but they also are likely to have real needs, spiritual and physical, even if they don't know it. And so as we discover these things, we will find our imaginations peaked. Another piece of raw material is a reflection on what God is up to in our world. More specifically, what has God been up to in our midst? How has God proven to be faithful in your personal life, in our life together as a congregation? How do the answers to these questions influence our ability to collectively imagine God being faithful again? It was Israel's failure to address these questions combined with their fear that caused them to turn back from entering the land. And a whole generation had to pass away before Israel was willing to trust Yahweh to go before them into the future. I fear that the same phenomenon is happening in churches across North America. Fearing the future, too many have turned away and are just biding their time as their congregations slowly dwindle away. I am confident that such will not be the fate 
of Laguna Presbyterian Church. We are a strong and faithful group of Christians, and I believe we want to trustfully imagine the future God has for us. It will take courage to trust and imagine, but by God's grace we must do it. But we do so remembering the faith of Joshua and Caleb, who imagined the future based upon the faithfulness of God in the past. Amen. I don't want to leave here. I don't want to stay. It feels like pinching to me either way. And the places I long for the most are the places where I've been. They are calling out to me like a long lost friend. It's not about losing faith. It's not about trust. It's all about comfortable when you move so much. And the place I was wasn't perfect, but I had found a way to live. And it wasn't milk or honey, but then neither is this. I've been painting pictures of Egypt, leaving out what it lacks. The future feels so hard, and I want to go back. But the places that used to fit me cannot hold the things I learned. Those roads were closed off to me while my back was turned. The past is so tangible, I know it by heart. Familiar things are never easy to discard. And I was dying for some freedom, and now I hesitate to go. I am caught between the promise and the things I know. I've been painting pictures of Egypt, leaving out what it lacks. The future feels so hard and I want to go back But the places that used to fit me Cannot hold the things I learned And those roads were closed off to me Oh, those roads were closed off to me While my back was turned If it comes too quick, I may not appreciate it, 
Is that the reason behind all this time and sand? If it comes too quick, I may not recognize it. Is that the reason behind all this time and sand? Faithful God, we confess gladly and boldly that all our times are in your hands. We give you thanks that our past is in your hands, that you've been at work in each of us and in all of us together long before we recognized you. With relief, we give you thanks that the now of our present time, present hour, present day is in your hands. And you preside with generous sovereignty. So we gladly entrust the needs of our now and the now of our world over to you. We pray for the broken places in our world and in our own lives. On this anniversary of the Charlottesville violence, we pray for healing for racial conflict in our nation. We pray too for all those caught up in inhumanity and violence, for those who desperately long for a safe home, for those affected by the fires, for all whose bodies and minds need your healing. Gratefully, we affirm that our futures are in your hand. We cannot see from here to there, but you can. So we pray for ourselves and for your whole church, courage beyond our easier timidity, trustful imagination beyond our present tense, restlessness, beyond our ready settlements. We bring you these gifts asking that you will use them and that you will use us for your work in this world, even as we pray for the day when your will is done on earth as in heaven, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing song is, We Will Remember. And there's a wonderful line in this song. It says, we will stop. We will stop and give you praise, for great is your faithfulness. Sunday is a great stopping place for us, I think, to remember God's faithfulness. And I love when the people of Israel crossed over and went through difficult times, went through seas and Jordans. They did what they called a raised an Ebenezer. They set up a pile of rocks so that whenever they were traveling around, somebody said, what are those rocks there for? And they would tell the story. And we are a storytelling people of God's faithfulness. This building is an Ebenezer. We can look at it and be reminded of God's faithfulness. That's just one thing. Where are your Ebenezers today? To remind you that God is faithful. Even in the midst of our fear, God is faithful. So let us sing this song together. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's sing the chorus. We will remember. We will remember, Lord. We will remember. 
miraculous signs and wonders. You've shown your power with precious blood. You've showed us your grace. You've been our helper. a decision to make. We are in a liminal place as a congregation. It's a time to do a lot of reflection. And a lot of things are uneasy at times. But we can be a people with trustful imagination because God has been faithful. He's been faithful to us individually. He's been faithful to our congregation and to our, the ministry that we've had together. And so as we look forward, let us look forward with imagination that's rooted in the faithfulness and trusting in the faithfulness of God. And so may God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be with us all as we imagine the future that God has intended for us. Amen. <laughs>